In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the Everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode three. No, wait. Two ninety nine. <laughs> Two ninety nine. That is right. One more to go to the big three zero zero. So. Um, and then we retire. We, that's right. We decided to do something uh, slightly special, but not really when it comes to the content. Um, it, it was more it was more special in theory and and in remembrance than actual pra- and practical application when we went back to reread it. Yeah, we uh we're going to be talking about uh the two issue prestige format series Green Lantern the New Core. This is a storyline by uh Chuck Dixon uh, Dixon and Scott Eaton um basically where Kyle's on a recruitment drive in the universe looking to recruit a new Green Lantern Corps. Um, because it was kind of its own spinoff, because it was a prestige format thing, you know, it was a special thing. We've never covered it before, but that's not always a delineator of whether or not it's a good story. <laughs> so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to start off with book one. Uh, Mark's going to review book one. Then we're going to jump right to the review of book two, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Um, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) If we have to. Uh, So Mark's first up. Go ahead, man. Book one. So let's get this. Let's get some disclaimers out of the way, too. I'm probably I'm probably going to be having a cough drop in my mouth during this because (laughs) I've been sick the past few days and having a scratchy throat can obviously lead to coughing fits, which I'm going to desperately try to avoid. But if it it gets really bad, I'll just. uh, I'll just mute the mic as I hack away for a few minutes. Let me read the back. And I'll, I, and I'll do my best to edit that out. <laughs> the occasional cough, that's, yeah, we that'll have, probably stay in. Yes, but like a, a coughing fit. We will have yeah. to edit it if there's like 15 seconds of silence when I click the mute the mic while I'm hacking my brains out. Unless Chad, <laughs> wants, unless Chad wants to like hum the Jeopardy theme while it happens. And I guess we can get away with it then. Uh, let me read the back cover of this sucker. Actually, because both, both parts of this uh, story actually have info in the back. Once there were many, an elite group of intergalactic peacekeepers policing the universe. Now there is only one. Kyle Rayner, the last Green Lantern, has taken it upon himself to restart this once proud band of lawmen. But in the farthest reaches of, of the space, his def that's interesting. But in the farthest reaches of the space, his definition of justice, of being a hero, of good, and of evil may not apply. He must choose wisely who to give the most powerful weapon in the universe, for they will become bum, bum, bah, the new core. <laughs> Spoiler alert, don't get too attached. <laughs> 
So, part one is, as uh, Chad mentioned, Chuck Dixon, writer, Scott Eaton, pencils, Annabelle Rodriguez, inks, Janice Chang, letters, and Chris Chukri did the colors. Uh, one thing I'm going to say right off the bat, even though I, nah, I'll wait, I'll wait to the commentary about this. It, but it's, it is something that I'm so used to current continuity and the way the books are written now that something that grabbed me almost immediately from a, a stylistic difference in this story. But we begin in space where you have a bunch of uh, aliens talking among, talking amongst themselves. They kind of like a cross between like the Xenomorphs and like and the Brood from like the X Men, calling each other high brother and all this stuff. And they keep talking about you know there's a there, there's a there's a vehicle approaching. It's made first they think it was a comet, but then they realize it's a vehicle, but it's a craft made of pure energy. And, and it's kind of like Kyle just blasting by like in the. His green machine, like Cadillac, whatever it is. <laughs> I like the fuzzy dice. That's a nice touch. And the intro, pretty much, Kyle goes, you know, as you know, the intro is, as Kyle Rayner, freelance artist, I didn't see much of the world. As Green Lantern, I got to say, traveling in deep space rules for the first ten light years. <laughs> and then you see the big close-up of his car. And then we, we kind of get a... I like, I like when he's looking at his dashboard. He's kind of got this little, like, a... Uh, Little head knock or bobblehead of Hal Jordan on it, which is kind of cool. That's like, but it's like a thousand parsecs, and not a Stucky's in sight. And, you know, I got and I got this big idea to restart the core. I didn't consider what the commute would be. It's like, how'd you do it, Hal? You were a Green Lantern before me. You were the best. You know, it was just you and your ring. And then basically, we get we kind of get a rehash of in a way. We get a flashback, but by description, not by really uh, scenes. Of how this all started, which we didn't really touch upon. This is more or less a sequel, but not not like directly as in one like next issue after. But this is a sequel to the Emerald uh, Emerald Knights storyline, in which before Hal gets sent back to you know the young Hal gets sent back to his own time, that he basically makes a duplicate of his ring since his ring could do that. He gave it to Hal. Excuse me, Hal gave it to Kyle, and basically tell you know told him to you know do. You do what he do what he wanted, or do what he thought was right with this, or whatever the exact quote was. Uh, and basically, Kyle took that as a mandate to restart the Green Lantern Corps. That that's what Hal wanted him to do. And so, so basically, this whole this is what the beginning of this. That's the premise of this whole issue. He, Kyle talks about how he, you know, that because you know Jade is back on Earth as an active Green Lantern, that means Kyle has the ability to go into space and do what he needs to. Um, and, what, and there's a few pages here which is really in, which are really interesting, uh, but I don't want I don't want to get I really don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I think it happens uh, yeah, it happens after this first part. But it's it's I'm trying to go off the top of my head what struck me about this story. But Kyle ends up on this on this war torn planet, and there's like one one last uh, building stronghold that's holding out against basically the rest of the planet that's attacking it. And this is where you kind of know you're in trouble because of the fact that Kyle taking you know, Kyle like talk about reading into a situation way too much. He talks about, "Oh, I know a one-sided fight when I see one." <laughs> it's like, "You don't like like basically you don't, you don't need to know specifics to know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, which is always a bad thing to do." <laughs> it'd be it'd be kind of like the equivalent of a of a Green Lantern showing up is you know the last the last ISIS stronghold was about to be attacked and assume they because they're being overwhelmed you know with such opposing force that oh they must be the good guys so that was I think that was a little heavy-handed you know I thought but basically 
you know, Kyle intervenes here and he and he helps uh, temporarily save the the stronghold the stronghold that was being attacked. Kyle gets introduced to uh, Magan, who's basically the leader of these rebels. And Magan basically takes Kyle aside and he, and he get and he tells him the story about how more or less that uh more or less almost like a a, a fascist kind of concept that just that the the, the people that were attacking them, they wanted to force one – they believed in one clan and one law, and anybody who wouldn't bend to them, they were going to destroy and make them pay the price. And Kyle listens to a story, and Kyle says – you know, basically makes the judgment call that, hey, this would be a good guy to give a Green Lantern ring to because he knows – you know, what he knows what to, uh, what, what to do – what he knows exactly what to do with it, Kyle felt, based on his situation. And he made Kyle's assessment of the situation, who's you – know, Basically, the right and wrong here. So Kyle and Magan team up, and more or less they uh, they team up to help def- and to defeat the overwhelming force. And the band of rebels turn out to basically win win the day, basically win the planet, or as Kyle likes to think anyway. You know, it's like my first stop on the intergalactic recruiting tour is tour is a good one. I bring peace and justice to a, a world at war. Sounds like Anakin. <laughs> So after the after the big the big fight the big battle we have like a victory celebration, and Kyle kind of like uh, gives uh, gives Magan uh, basically a, a primer on you know what he's supposed to do and you're a member of the Green Lantern Corps now and you have responsibilities and you, this that and the other thing, and Magan kind of says the right thing to make Kyle feel more confident that he made the right choice. You know, it's uh. This is interest. This is interesting too. It's like a he, he, t- he talks about explaining to, M- to Magan about the rings, you know, vulnerability yellow and needs to be recharged every 24 hours. And Kyle's like, oh, you know, I love a happy ending, and he goes off in space. And Magan's second in command, they're like, what, what now? And Magan's like, uh, this war will end soon, but the justice goes on forever. Now this these couple of pages I really like. This is like Kyle. I like I like Kyle surfing in space. That's kind of cool. But basically, Kyle starts visiting different planets and and he makes an interesting. Uh, he raises an interesting concept, which is what exactly is life and what's sentient and what's not and how can how can I tell the difference? So we almost see like uh like almost like a some form of energy, like almost like uh, animals or aliens that seem to be. Either formed from the air or formed from electricity, and so Kyle's like kind of like borderline kind of thinking he's out of his league, maybe a little bit here. You know, he goes he goes under sea, he's you know, again in, on this planet, and he, he's looking all over the place for recruits. He finds he finds this uh, girl who basically seems to be in pain, and she you know cries out to Kyle. And of course, basically that's just a ruse because she wants to eat Kyle. Oh, those sneaky people! Kyle kind of gets saved here, and Kyle gets saved by Hammeroon. What is Hammeroon's almost? I don't know if he's necessarily comic relief, but he's almost like the Chewbacca over here, the, the Kyle's Han, Kyle's Han in the story. That uh, so Kyle meets Hammeroon, and they and they kind of they kind of they kind of bond. And Hammeroon's like, oh, I heard, like, I heard, you're a Green Lantern. I heard all you guys were dead. And Hammeroon's a bounty hunter. And they, so basically, they they end up, they kind of like team up on, 
team up on their quest, on Kyle's quest, basically, but they essentially team up. There's a distress signal that comes across, and Kyle's like, shouldn't you know, shouldn't we answer that? And Kyle's like, come on, Hammer, we're the good guys, right? And he's like, you've got a lot to learn about me, Rainer. It's, they've, Kyle, and they find the distress signal, and by lo and behold, it's an old Russian satellite, or space pod, basically. It's the Russians! Uh, so we find out that more or less the, her, the, the, the pilot's name is Anya, and she, and she kind of has been, she was launched into orbit in 1964 and kind of been frozen ever since. And Kyle's like, uh, you know, Kyle's kind of like wondering what exactly happened to her, and he's, and all of a sudden, boom. Before you know it, she's thawed out. Her broken English kind of gets old, too. And that seems to be a little too stereotypical about her about her broken English. Uh, they kind of talk, and once Kyle explains what year it really is now, you know, it's 1999, you know, she passes out. They go to a wait, they go to a way station, and, you know, Kyle, Kyle Cameroon and Anya go in, and it's kind of, it's almost, it's not quite like a Star Wars cantina scene, but it's kind of, sort of, and, before you know it, they somehow get involved, and in, there's another, there's a fight that's going on on the way station. You know, Kyle, you know, being Kyle, tries to get involved, and this is when Kyle meets Garl, who's what? He's got four arms, right, Chad? He's purple with four arms. Yeah. Um. So he's a he he's a miner, and Kyle, you know, kind of Kyle, kind of say that eight times quick. Uh, sides with him, and before you know it, um. Basically, the security on the way station comes in and blasts them and takes them all prisoner. And, of course, good old Kyle. So temporarily, Kyle doesn't have any Green Lantern ring. His own or the one that he was making copies of and with. Um, let's see. Uh, basically, they end up more or less to get basically put on trial here in, before the judge, which is Judge Sewell. And basically, <laughs> Judge Sewell's not very... He's more like a hang 'em high kind of judge because he's he, he as I guess this the pseudo public defender of uh, of Kyle and company tries to say, well, two of them are first time guests on the way station and unfamiliar with our customs, and Sewell's kind of like they participated in a violent brawl, they assaulted an officer of this court, are these customs your clients find acceptable? And and Kyle appropriately goes toast because he know because he knows they're they're in deep trouble. Um, they talk about uh, you know the, the Green Lantern, the Green Lantern rings, and Sewell's kind of like, I know all about these harmless, harmless rings. That boy is a lantern. He has no jurisdiction here. His organization is irrelevant and extinct. You know, I am the only word of law in this corner of the galaxy. And all you know, and pretty much they keep going on and on, and then all of a sudden there's a uh, Anya kind of pulls out a um, Anya kind of pulls out a bomb, more or less, and she kind of says basically you you really you know, it's like a, you know, if you release my friends, or it says bomb is going to explode, and and Sewell's kind of upset that the scans didn't pick this up. Cameroon and company, and basically they get everybody gets their weapons back, and they start and they start fighting, they start fighting their way out. And Sewell's kind of like, you know, blast them to atoms, I'll see them hunted across this the cosmos for eternity, even I have if I have to do it personally. So Kyle Kyle creates a spaceship and. And the good guys, quote unquote, escape, and more or less, uh, <laughs> I, I like the fact that you know Kyle pretty much 
much much like we've seen in our current continuity with, with the stuff with um, creating the artificial heart for Orion there, Kyle pretty much has to you know, concentrate and keep this construct at all times since it's, that's the only thing the spaceship is or else they'll just fall out of it. And Kyle just kind of laments here about how, you know, you know, his this quest to start a new core got off to such a good start because Magan was, you know, lantern material from the get-go. I know he's out there right now fighting the good fights, you know, smiting the wicked, sticking up for the little guy, and then we get a flashback back to Magan's world, and we basically see himself set himself up on a throne, having, you know, basically, you know, women all, you know, lavishing... Uh, throwing themselves all over him, and more or less all the, the citizens are bringing gold and jewels and tributes and dropping to their knees in front of him. So we know what that means, dictator here. Next issue, Death to the Core. Uh, the next issue, same creative team, uh, opens up in space uh, with a bunch of space beavers. And no, I don't mean the Star Sapphire Core. <laughs> oh God! I can't believe you said that. Oh my! Oh God! Just, just remember, Chad Bokeman. That's Chad Bokeman with a B. <laughs> See, so when I said that this show ends on episode 300, maybe I was being quite psychic at the time. But it's okay, Chad. No one listens to us anyway. So go ahead. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. What, should I edit that out? <laughs> no, let's just, let's just see how horrible we can get, we can get ripped up for that. Oh, God. All right, it well, whatever. It creative, though. Yeah, it was. That's what I thought. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they come upon a, a light-year-wide cosmic storm that takes them out basically immediately, um, and it's spreading across the universe. Uh, back inside the ship... Um, Kyle's getting pretty sleepy, but they put down on a moon to catch some rest. But it's too late because uh, the uh, uh, J- Judge Shul, Sewell, who actually, just I'm just going to say it, his design facially reminds me of one of the characters from Nexus. If anybody ever read Nexus. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, shows up to take him in. Um, I'm not going to get super detailed in my recap, guys. This is going to be really broad strokes here. Uh, a fight ensues, but not very long because that's when this uh, cosmic storm shows up. Green uh, Kyle uses his ring to protect Sewell and the others. They uh, resume their fight, and suddenly it's like, all right, well, what do we need to do here? Um, we need to we need to fix this. Kyle gives them all rings. They all charge up. They all fly off. Um, and uh, as they fly off, they are suddenly met uh, and under attack. And it's during the attack that Kyle recognizes some of these creatures. He says, "I've got something to tell you all, and you won't like it." And this is when we see that Magan uh, has, uh, or Magan. I'm gonna go with Magan because Magan is a character in the DCU. That's that's Marsh. That's uh, Miss Martian. So rather than Magan, it's Magan, I guess. Magan, whatever. Magan. <clears throat> uh, he <laughs> like has like marshaled a massive army and is got this brain in a jar telepath type uh, being called Prothis. Pothis. Pothis. Um, they, uh, uh, we cut over to the new core and they're all like, 
oh, wow, you gave it to that guy? Anybody who could have basically told you that these guys were shitheads, <laughs> essentially. Um, so they decide what to do about it. This is when Magon uh, shows up uh, to take them on. Kyle tries to do a, a, a quote-unquote Statue of Liberty play where he, you know, constructs a big old ship and flies head on at the masses while the others kind of take him from behind. Um, Magon uh, kind of sees right through this. Kyle and him getting a pretty big direct fight. Meanwhile, the new core is directed off to the side to Pothis, um, who wants to help them shut down um, Magan's plans. Uh, and he directs him over to this, uh, to this, this fortress where Pothis is. Um, he says, uh, you know, like this, without his knowledge, I have developed a self. Uh, lanterns, uh, at the risk of your lives, you can help me. This device is an inhibitor. It keeps me from the controlling programs of Magan's antimatter weapon. And um, basically this uh, cosmic storm that's been going throughout the universe, it's all Magan's fault, uh, essentially. Uh, so what has happened is what Magan has done is he's essentially built up this uh, army over the last 20 years. And although that time has not elapsed for Kyle and company, he found essentially like an antimatter or a gravity well where time moves much quicker and he then built his own army and resources and everything. And that's how he's become so advanced uh, and so uh, garnered so much support from so many so quickly. It's because basically this is an entire generation of his people who have known no other leader but him. <clears throat> so they decide to take him out. Mag Magan and Kyle are kind of at their last, uh, last bit of uh, throws here throwing punches. Um, then what happens is, um, uh, excuse me, what is his name? Ho Ho uh, Hogar? Oh, uh, Garl? No. Um, what is his Hammeroon? name? Hammeroon. There we go. Hammeroon uh, is keeping this big-ass building from collapsing uh, his ring is on reserves. Uh, basically, uh, the only power left is the reserve that protects the wearer from mortal harm. He uses it. Um, it drops this massive thing, uh, fortress, on him as well as all the other fighters, killing him and, and the others. <clears throat> then uh, they release... Uh, the, other, the, the other new core members release... Uh, the, the big brain um, and the from the inhibitor, it doesn't work, but it triggers a doomsday device. Uh, so the antimatter storm is shut off, that cosmic storm, but now this whole place is about to go kablooey. So the lanterns all power up uh, and get the hell out of there. Then uh, while Kyle sits there and thinks, then at the end of the issue, what happens is he takes the rings back um, and saying to himself, you know, the others are gone. I'm sure they'll do a great job. Nice to know I did some good out here. I made the other rings disappear. The only one left is Jade's on Earth. There may be a new Green Lantern Corps someday. Maybe I'll even be a part of it. But for now, I have to do well, one last thing to do, 
and then it's time to head home. And he makes a massive uh, um, asteroid slash pyramid statue of Hammeroon Green Lantern hero friend. And the end of that story. Much more broad strokes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what'd you think? <laughs> Well, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? First of all, uh, since you were reading Green Lantern at the start of the Kyle Rayner series, let's let's just ask: Did you buy this when it came out? Of course. Yes. Well, what do you think? What do you think then? That's that's the that's the irony of this. Now we're now we're not going to mention the story we could have done instead of this story. Because <laughs> we will be doing that we will story. Because well, we will, yes, we will be doing that. We don't know how soon, but we'll be doing it. But. I can safely say that would have been the better choice because that story, I I feel fairly confident that story holds up. This story does not hold up as well. I I remembered it much more fondly when I when it first came out. The, I think the first issue is is better, and I think I think some of the 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 first maybe the first half of the first issue I really liked, and there were some interesting concepts in there. I don't think it's I don't think the story is that is that great. I mean the idea. I mean the thing with McGann, 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 give him a Boston accent, McGann, uh, that, that conflict kind of stuff is kind of cool, so, but it's a lot of the stuff when he, you know, on the way station and all that stuff, to me that stuff just brings the story, I mean, I know it's how they introduce so many of the other characters, but it, to me it kind of brings the story almost to a grinding halt. Uh, the first issue was good with Kyle lur- searching space and, 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 and asking himself that fundamental question, do would I even know what what life or what sentient life is? Uh, they telegraph. I think when you read it now, they telegraph way too much about it, that they, that he's giving the ring to the wrong guy or betting on the wrong horse. I mean, they, they're so heavy-handed with that in the beginning that I mean, it doesn't even if you hadn't read it before, you could probably almost assume that it, that he was making a horrible mistake just because they were making it. Because Kyle seemed so confident that he that he knew what he was doing. Uh, one thing I did like, and that's the thing I almost mentioned when I started doing my issue, was I, I did kind of find it refreshing that we go through a lot of different parts of space here, and we don't, and we're not constantly bombarded with space sector this, 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 planet that. I mean, it's it kind, of, it's kind of missing a little bit, but as in you're, we're so used to it, it seems odd. But I kind of, I kind of found it refreshing that right off the bat, not ever, that you, it's not constantly space sector two eight one one or, or. Two seven one six or whatever that you don't really get that in in this two issue series. So I kind of I did kind of I did kind of like that. I don't like the fact that there's that they already that in two issues they already contradict themselves because they have uh, McGann talking about how uh, he discovered the yellow weakness himself, and in the first the first part that they specifically say that Kyle is the one who tells him about the about the yellow weakness. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. A lot of the space hopping stuff I did like. I think that could have been the devotion to most of the story without the whole new core thing. Um, I think I think it would have been just cool to see Kyle get to know space and get to know you know what the Green Lantern Corps did. I think you know I think this story might have been better if it was more like that one. It was, I think it was early on in the Kyle Rayner run where Kyle comes across an old Green Lantern, a girl. I, th- you know, I, I think it yeah. was. It, it, I think this story would have served, you know, been been better served if, like, 
he was out there wandering around. He got to know a few people, and then he runs across an old Green Lantern. And um, they kind of expanded that story instead. And that could have been a new core story because all these new players, new characters, it's cool and everything, but like you said, it's kind of telegraphed at the beginning with Magan, uh, or Magan. And, um, yeah, it's, I do like some of the art and some oh, of the, the cool art, design. Yeah, I like most of the art in this. Some of the cool designs they went with for the constructs as well as uh, these alien creatures he runs across in your issue uh, and stuff like that. Um, the costume designs were pretty cool, um, stuff like that. But, yeah, it, 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 it bored me after a little bit. Um, quite honestly, this is one of those stories I think would make be infinitely more entertaining as something like an animated feature or something as opposed to a comic issue because, you know, some of those stories that were portrayed in the Emerald Knights animated feature, uh, like the one about um, uh, uh, Lara, Lara's backstory, I didn't really care that much when I read it, but then you see it in the animated feature and it's kind of cool. I think that's kind of the same thing here. Like the Green Lantern Sleepers novels, they're fantastic novels, but there are points where you're just like, oh, it's kind of boring. Um, but then you listen to the graphic audio, you know, um, audio drama format version of those novels, and it's so much more entertaining. I think the same thing could happen here. This would probably be served better in a different medium. Um, but I didn't like it uh, here. And... I don't know if I would consider this something, you know, for, for getting my personal feelings on it, let's just nix that. I don't know if I see this story as being worthy of a two-issue prestige format. <coughs> I get why they did it, because of kind of what was happening in the title at the time, and in order for this story to take place, it would have to be here, here, and here. Like, I get why it had to be its own special thing, but... Uh, if I were to take this story compared to other stories in the Kyle Rayner run, I'd look at this and go, I don't see what's so special about this that we need to have, you know, a two-issue prestige format series. Because the prestige format books, uh, I'm reading this digitally, so but I do have it somewhere, uh, hard copies in my long boxes somewhere. Correct me if I'm wrong, the prestige formats don't have ads, right? That is correct. Yeah, so this is a special format ad-free, double-length, so this is essentially four issues worth of story, maybe more. Um, like, I mean, I, it, it doesn't seem worth it to me. And that's and, and I am nixing my personal feelings on it. I'm not talking about my criticism. It just, there doesn't seem to be anything super special about the story that would warrant the two-issue prestige formats uh, treatment. I would feel kind of uh, I would feel kind of cheated a bit if I were picking this up as it came out. I kind of suspect maybe the reason why they gave it a, they made it this format was really to try to tease you into thinking that uh, they really were going to start the core again. Yeah. <laughs> which I which is one of the, which is probably one of the biggest criticisms I have about this is the fact that I understand that Kyle you know he screwed up royally you know with the first guy that he gave the ring to. But everybody else that he gave the ring to, were, were, they weren't horrible choices. You know, they had potential, and they seemed to res they seemed to at least respect or defer to Kyle enough where Kyle could have 
if it wasn't for the fact of, of the edict still going on at DC that they couldn't bring back the Green Lantern Corps, other than that, there really wasn't any true logical reason why these characters couldn't have remained Green Lanterns. And had been, he may not have decided to expand the core any bigger than it was to start with, but this was a workable group that he could have used as a jumping-off point to bring back a larger number. So I think I think it was just a tease, and I think it was the only real reason that it, you know they 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 try to tie it into the vein of the story. But I think the only real reason that basically we had to end up where we began was because of the fact that they weren't ready to bring back the core yet. Yeah, I think also another problem here, you can tell that they're going for the money because not only is this this entitled a, the new core, but it's also shown on the cover of the first issue, everybody who gets a ring in the story in Green Lantern gear. Yep. So, I mean, that's very clearly not just – if you were to just put Kyle on there and call it the new core, that would be something and maybe people would be like, well, whatever – but when you put Kyle, who's been the only Green Lantern for a while now, on a cover with five other lanterns and call something the new core and it's sitting on the stands for someone to be like, oh, shit, and pick up, that's what they're going for. They are quite literally going for the oh, shit by putting all five new lanterns on the cover of the first issue when all five of them don't all get a, a, a ring in the first issue. So I thought that was pretty issue, pretty pretty interesting. I agree. Um, I feel like I feel like the 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 Magan story is not is not a unique one. Like I feel like it, that's that's kind of a trope. Uh, not just like you know you come across a war situation, you make a judgment call and pick the wrong side without getting all the information first. You know that kind of thing. But just the whole warlord story, it kind of reminds me of like a, a, a story you'd see like with Mongol or something like that. It doesn't seem uh, special or anything. I do like partly how um, – I don't want to say intelligent, but it's the only thing that's coming to my mind uh, – resourceful. How resourceful Magan is in finding this sort of gravity well to spend 20 years building up this, this army. I think that that was I think that was the only interesting twist about it for me, the fact that he went all anti-monitor crisis and kind of sent off an antimatter wall was kind of, eh. um, but I guess it gave them a big enough threat to to take on together. But still, I kind of feel like Magan himself could have could have been that threat. Like <coughs> instead of the antimatter wall or whatever, it could have been like. We've heard reports of a band of raiders sweeping their way across the cosmos and leaving nothing in their wake. You know, that kind of a thing. It didn't have to be this cosmic force that he had under control. Um, I do like all the other new core members as well. Um, it's amazing how much they made me care about... Uh, uh, oh God, I already forgot his name. <laughs> What's his name? Hammer. Who died. Yeah, Hammer Room. Uh, he kind of reminds me of um, uh, who does he remind me of? He reminds me of uh, Pip. Yes. Yeah. He's he a, remind, yeah, he's a Pip-like character. Yeah, he reminds me. For those of you who read Marvel, uh, I'm pulling that reference right. It's Pip from the Warlock series, right? That's the right guy. Yeah, that, yeah. that's that's the right guy. 
it's been a while since I picked up my Warlock trade. Um, but yeah, Pip, it, he reminds me of Pip the Troll, kind of. Um, and, and that's a good thing. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. Um, and I, you know, they're, they're, they're new characters. I like them. I like the idea that Anya stays out in space because it's like, hey, it's been 30 years. Soviet Russia's gone. So there's really, there really is nothing left for me. Um, so she's just going to stay out in space with the others. So I think that's cool. I think it'd be interesting if we run into these characters again at some point in the future. Um, or if we ever did run into them again. I don't know if we ever did, honestly. I don't uh, think, I don't think so. So it'd be cool to see them somewhere. But, um, yeah. Um, all in all, I just felt like there's, it's, it's, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad story, but it's just, it wasn't very interesting to me. I, yeah, that's how I felt when I started, when I started rereading this, and it's like, wow, this was not quite as impressive or interesting a story as I kind of remembered it being. Maybe it was a concept that drew me in at the time, but that's probably what it was. That's probably what was memorable about it, that was the concept. Sure. So it's uh, interesting. We momentarily, briefly had an, an Earth Green Lantern that wasn't wasn't from the United States, and of all places, from the Soviet Union. That's true. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about it before we move on? No, I mean I'm glad we did it. Uh, I think we'll, we definitely will appreciate. I think we'll both like the the other story, the mystery story, when we finally get to do that, because that was that was a better story, and they certainly was a better main character in that one than. Uh, than, than anything that was going on in this book. All right, we got some other stuff we want to tackle this uh, this episode. Uh, do you want to do the emails, the other issue, or the trailer first? Let's do let's do your other issue first. All right. For those of you who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for a chat unleashed on a certain character he loves called Bragman, here it is. <laughs> um. Chad's on the rag this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, come on. I say the beaver thing and you do that. We're I, both, I, I we're was, both in balance, trouble. Now. I was balancing out the equation. I, I, I was still kind of suspect. Well, they both are offensive, but I was kind of think mine might be slightly less than yours. But I could be. Plus, if plus if people were really offended by yours, they'd never listen long enough to get to mine. <laughs> we we truly we tr- we truly don't mean really any offense, but I feel like you know. After it's said, the damage is done. So <laughs> I I don't know how much that means to you guys if we say we don't mean any offense, but well, all right, whatever. Yeah, uh, we both, we've both been sick this weekend on meds, so come on, give us a break. That's true. <laughs> we, this is the third time we've been scheduled to record this episode. Uh, um, an and episode. We actually were supposed to record oh, true. episode too. <laughs> true. Uh, I was actually I, – I, I left work early yesterday about 3 o'clock. Mark and I, it was my my time, Mark and I sent the last message to each other updating on what was going on at about 4.30 my time, I think, 4.30, 4.45 my time. I immediately went to bed after that, and I didn't wake up until 7.15 the next morning. <laughs> so I was out for over 12 hours. <laughs> That's how sick I was just the other day. And I still feel kind of hazy. It's it's almost like I'm tipsy, but not yeah, it, <laughs> yeah not in a good way. It's 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 weird. Uh, I can't even I can't even bother describing it. All right. So, anyways, uh, <clears throat> sorry if we offended you this episode. Anyways, um, October 11th, Ragman number one 
a new issue of a six-issue miniseries uh, released by writer Ray Fox and artist Inaki Miranda. For those of you who don't know, and if you don't, this must be the first episode you've ever listened to of the Lantern Cast, <laughs> in which case, welcome. Uh, I run a blog. And goodbye. <laughs> I, I, I run a blog called The Suit of Souls, uh, thesuitofsouls.blogspot.com. Uh, and I say this slightly braggy, but also in stating a fact, my blog is the only place on the internet devoted 100% to Ragman, the character from DC Comics created in 1976 by Robert Kaniger and Joe Kubert. There is no other blog, podcast, YouTube page, anything like that devoted to the character of Ragman. I am the only place on the net. Um, and as such, I reached out to DC Comics and I said, hey, I got this blog. I told him what I just told you. Um, and I said, not only that, I also run the Ragman DC Comics Facebook page. Um, can I get an interview with Ray Fox and Anaki Miranda? So DC Comics responded and said yes. And I got a interview with the creative team. Now, it was one of those sort of formulaic interviews where like two questions to the artist, two questions to the writer, one question to both kind of a thing. Um, but nonetheless, it happened. And something I was not expecting, they also gave me an advanced copy of Ragman number one. Ragman number one came out October 11th. I got it August 31st. So it was really hard for me to like just keep my agreement to confidentiality because there's, it's a new uh, design and so on and so forth. But that's sort of the backstory of this. For those of you who don't know, I do have to go into a bit of Ragman history because this is not a very popular character in DC, but those who do know of him uh, and know a lot about him and are fans of him are very particular about it. So I, I just want to give a brief summary. Ragman, like I said, was created in 1976 um, with a five-issue, was supposed to be a six-issue series <clears throat> right before the DC implosion, Robert Kaniger and Joe Kubert. Uh, at the time... Ragman, the character Rory Regan, was a veteran back from home, uh, back from the war at his home in Gotham, in a particular random slum in Gotham. There's dozens, we know. His father ran a junk shop called Rags and Tatters. And one night, uh, Ragman's father, or, or Jerry, uh, Jerry Regan, is out back in the, the yard of the junk shop um, with his friends. Uh, who one's like a circus song, uh, a previous acrobat? One was a boxer. You know, they're just they're just old old fellows reliving their glory days over a couple of beers in the backyard. They stumble across this mattress that's stuffed with two million dollars, and they decide to leave it to quote the kid to 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 Rory. Um, but one night these thugs come into the yard looking for the money that they've stashed back there. So while they're trying to find it. They start torturing these these gentlemen back there, shooting down a bunch of power lines. And the, as uh, Jerry and his friends are getting electrocuted, Rory stumbles upon the scene, tries to grab his father. He does so, but everybody's grabbing onto each other. So they all get electrocuted while they're all holding hands. And then later on, towards the end of the issue, 
uh, uh, Rory finds this this suit of rags, this patchwork suit with this cloak and 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 uh, this cloak and uh, cape. And it was supposed to be a Halloween costume, but he uses it to take revenge on these people. And it's not super explicitly said, but essentially what had happened was when he grabbed onto his father, the strength of the strong man and the skills of the acrobat and the fighting skills of the boxer all rushed into him. And that's how he became Ragman. Well, post-crisis, this is where you get the suit of souls concept. So the golem, the golem of Prague, is a Jewish folklore thing. You know, it, it, uh, some um, priests raised it up to protect the townspeople. Uh, the golem went crazy. You know, it, it, it lacks, you know, human emotion or whatever. So they made the, – they used the same sort of spell um, that they did on the golem into a suit, a patchwork suit. And the suit could be worn by an individual. Rory's family, the Regans, are eventually the ones chosen for this task. So Rory was Ragman. His father was Ragman before him, and so on and so forth. The thing that the suit does is it absorbs the souls of those he vanquishes in a fight. Um, so these are, these are truly evil people. So, you know... He absorbs these souls, and each patch on his suit is the soul of an individual. Well, what he can do with those souls is he can access their memories, their thoughts, their abilities, their strength. So just even something super basic. Let's say a kid is trapped under a car. It takes 13 people to lift this car. That's, that's how much it would take to lift this, car, this particular car off this kid. He can access the strength of 13 souls in his suit to bring it into himself to lift the car. If he, for some reason, needed the skills of a sniper, and there's a you know serial killer sniper in the suit, he can pull that ability from them, and so on and so forth. Now, what these souls are doing is each time they help Rory, they're paying penance for their sins, and then they move on to the afterlife after, after that. Now, what happens to them beyond then, that's up to God, I guess. But that's essentially the suit of souls concept. The last time Ragman got his own titled issue was in 2010 with a one shot. I highly recommend if you've never read any Ragman, I want to see if you'd be into it, called The Suit of Souls. Ragman, The Suit of Souls. It's a one shot, 2010. Go find it. The last time Ragman had his own series was in... 1993-94 with the Ragman Cry of the Dead miniseries, which took place in New Orleans. <clears throat> That's the last time. He's appeared off and on through in. He was a big part of a group called the Shadow Pact, which consisted of, among others, Detective Chimp, Blue Devil, so on and so forth. Uh, that spun out of something Mark's pretty familiar with, which is the Day of Judgment, right? Yes, that's my base. That is my basic and my main knowledge thereof ragman all comes from his his role in that yeah yeah so the shadow pack spun out of that uh and that went on for a while four trade paperbacks worth of uh, stories i think about 25 or more issues something like that um and most recently ragman was seen on season five of arrow (laughs) 
believe me, I'm just as stunned as anybody else that Ragman would show up. But he was part of a group of new recruits uh, forming Team Arrow, uh, among which was people like Wild Dog and Mr. Terrific. Um, but there you go. And Ragman was a part of that group. He was Roy Regan. He had a patchwork suit. His suit came from some sort of Judaic, mythological, magic sort of background. We never figured out if he actually like absorbed souls, but it did seem to have some sort of powers and abilities that were more than just some metahumans type stuff. Fast forward to today, October 11th, Ragman number one is out, and uh, it's a new six-issue miniseries. I have been hyping the shit out of this series. Uh, in advance, I want the, I want the, the the series to do so well that we get more and more Ragman because, like I said, he hasn't had his own title, his own title, since 1993. So I bought three issues. <laughs> I bought three copies of issue number one and told everyone to do the same. I was hyping the interview. I was hyping my review. I was hyping everything, telling, telling people on Twitter to go get it, and so on and so forth. Mark has now read that issue. And just because it's, like I said, it hasn't happened since 1993, I figured we'd take a few moments out on LanternCast and talk about it because this is actually a big deal, at least to me. So, Mark, you read it. I know it's a big introduction, but Mark is under no obligation to tell me it was amazing. <laughs> so what did you think of Ragman number one? Without the basic background of the character that you have, I would – I think there was a lot of stuff they were throwing at people in this. Okay. Um, that's number one. I like the art, so let's let's go right off the bat. I like the art. I I do kind of get a little bit of Spectre vibe off of this. I like the Hal Jordan Spectre series. I kind of get a little. I kind of get a similar vibe, a vibe off of this. So on that level, it kind of appealed to me. Uh, it's intriguing. I don't necessarily know if I. I know the. I know the classic look of Ragman is not, you know, the most original or beloved the character design of all time, probably. But I'm not necessarily sure if, if this new version is kind of like it almost looks like Groot meets Reverse Flash. It's kind of it's it it's kind of mummy esque. That's uh, true too. There's a mummy esque vibe to it. I think I think it would be better served if it had a hood and cloak, like a, like yes. the hood and the cape back. Keep this current design. That's fine, but let's get back the hood and the the the, the cape. Uh, yes. But uh, I don't know. We'll. See. This may be what we're we're stuck with, and it and it may grow on me. We have another five issues to go. I think it looks fine for a new design right now. But we're coming from somebody who's intimately familiar with the character, <laughs> so that's just my own personal preference. That might be something I just need to learn to let go. <clears throat> but go ahead, continue. Uh, let's see, where was I? I, I, so I, I'd like, I, I'm trying to, I have like different thoughts in my head. Like I said, the art was good, and I think they certainly, they certainly, I, I do like the way they, and I can see why some people wouldn't, but I do like the way they kind of hop and, hop back and forth between the past and the present, and, ta- and showing what happened to Rory, and as we're trying to figure out, you know, at the end, when all, the, when the different voices of his, of his fellow comrades, soldiers in arms, there are, are talking to him to try to get an understanding of what's going on. Uh, 
and I like the rag. You know, obviously, they still keep the rags in tatters, so that's cool. I liked it. It's, but it, I know, but it, but again, I don't since I don't have the background you do. It would be, it would be if somebody gave me this issue, didn't give me a primer like you gave. And and I, I'd never read anything about the character before. I don't know if it would intrigue me enough to to want to keep reading. Maybe one more issue to see if I if it grabbed me. But I don't know if the hook is there enough in the first issue to pull in people that didn't have anything really seriously invested in the in the character or the mythology. Wow. So this issue, uh, if you guys are gonna go pick it up, hopefully you do. I'm not gonna give away too many spoilers. Uh, just so in case you do want to go pick it up. <clears throat> this issue takes place, it opens up in the Israeli desert. Uh, Rory is part of a military unit that are down in some tombs looking for some treasure or something. And he's part of a military unit. It's unclear if they're doing their own rogue thing or if Rory was just dragged along, if they're just purely tomb raiders. But he definitely is a military man. Um by his history and other uh, other series and by what they've been saying in solicits and stuff um, for this series. Uh, so it's unclear about how this mission that they're on comes about, but they're in the Israeli desert. They come across this task, kind of, uh, and they open it up, and obviously that's where the, the, the rags are. Um, the entire unit is slaughtered. Um, and Rory is sent back to Gotham, his hometown. His father runs a shop rags and tatters um and <clears throat> one night the suit gloms onto him he finds himself out and about hunting demons uh and this whole time while rory himself is confused the voices of his unit the, the the guys in his unit are talking to him they are clearly within the suit of souls um <clears throat> so that's kind of where we we, we leave the whole thing we're in a Rory is confused, <laughs> doesn't know what's going on, how it's happening, but it's all tied into this weird thing that they found in the Israeli desert. And right off the bat, I can tell you that in one word, outside of obviously the new design for Ragman, this comic is faithful. We get a ton of new adaptations for characters in this generation, um, you know, with the New 52, with Rebirth, stuff like that. When these kind of side characters get reintroduced, perfect example would be like uh, Danny Cassidy, Blue Devil, uh, in the New 52 series when they did that Blue Devil Black Lightning thing in DC Comics Presents, that weird new design for Blue Devil they did. Like they they chop up a lot of side characters and try and revamp them into something new at the expense of what made that old character great. This is not one of those instances. You can rail against the new design all you want, and there are a couple of people on the Ragman Facebook page who really don't like this. It's a, it's So far, it seems to be the minority, but maybe the people who have a negative opinion are just sticking to themselves because they don't want to start an argument. I don't know. Um, but so, oh, you, oh you, you know the way the world works today, Chad. That's, that, that's probably not the case. Probably not. But it seems <laughs> it seems to be outside of the design. Faithful. They find the suit in the Israeli desert. That automatically gives it a connection to ancient past. It absorbs souls. Now, in the past, it absorbed the souls of evildoers. Maybe this is just something where 
they were caught in the crossfire and it just because they were nearby and died, it absorbed them as well. His, his unit. It's possible that it just absorbs anybody, but once it's worn by somebody, you can then control who it absorbs. Again, this is a first issue. Nobody knows his father, great man who works in a junk shop called rags and tatters in Gotham. Rory's a soldier going through some PTSD, some, some hard times. He can communicate with the people in his suit. He's part of the supernatural world. He's going up against demons. As a matter of fact, future solicits say Etrigan will be showing up in the series later on. Um, and supposedly they've hinted at, um, since it's taking place in Gotham, you may see a cameo or two from the Bat family as well. But because of all these core tenets of what I consider Ragman to be, this comic is pretty damn faithful, and I'm really looking forward to see what's coming with it. Um, <clears throat> if anybody is curious, wants to learn more, wants to read more, uh, I highly recommend you go over to thesuitofsouls.blogspot.com. Um, as of this posting of this episode, the most recent post will be my review of this issue, and the one right after that, right before that, which uh, posted earlier than that, would be the interview with Ray Fox and Anaki Miranda. <clears throat> and Anaki had a lot of good stuff to say uh, about his design process and, and, and a lot of what he feels about the character. So <clears throat> I highly recommend you guys go check that out. It, again, it's not Suit of Souls. It is the suitofsouls.blogspot.com. Uh, and check that out. But I just wanted to talk about it pretty briefly, uh, or just for a few minutes, because... Again, we haven't had a Ragman series, mini-series, um, of any kind, uh, solo series, since the early 90s. Um, we had that one shot in 2010, and he was a big prevailing member in the Shadow Packs. But, I mean, a Ragman solo ongoing title of some kind has not existed since the early 90s. So this is a big enough deal for me to kind of cross the streams, if you will and bring my Ragman fandom uh, over into the Lantern cast just for a minute. <clears throat> nice. Uh, what's next? Let's do the email. Email. So let me get this pulled up on my computer here. My new computer. <laughs> That's fun. We know you're happy, Chad. That's right. <laughs> I won a contest at work, and that contest had a prize of a brand new MacBook Pro. And my computer is on its very last legs, so I was very, very excited to get this. Um, so first up, I guess we'll take uh, Ryan's email. Okay. <clears throat> Ryan says, a uh, couple of questions about issue 31. Uh, and I believe he was talking about uh, Green, Lantern. Green Lanterns, yeah. A couple of questions about issue 31. The ending was the usual overcome, blah, 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 but what really has me thinking is the rings. Here are a few thoughts. When Zakran died, his ring shot off looking for others, but when Raimi called the rings back, he only had six at any one time. Zakran's ring didn't look like it returned. Also, Raimi says the five rings may still be out there, but why couldn't Volthoom's sense them before. I'm thinking they are locked up somewhere. Otherwise, Volthoom should have been able to find them. 
And I'm guessing when the Kryptonian died at the beginning of the arc, I'm guessing her ring never exploded. Weird. But it certainly makes for some good future stories with all the searching, and that's something to look forward to. More GL lore. It's hard to even remember that story. <laughs> uh, especially because especially because we kind of recorded that episode a lot earlier than we really did. <laughs> uh, I'd... Well, one of the other things that makes no sense whatsoever is why the hell didn't Volthoom sense that friggin' uh, what's what's his name, Tiger Man over there, who I already forgot his name. Uh, why why couldn't he sense that he had one of the original Seven Lantern rings too? Hmm. You know, you didn't need friggin' Jessica's ring. <laughs> she, I mean, I mean, com, com, common sense, you know, common sense would dictate that. Well, see, there's a lot of things that don't make any sense, based on the fact that you know that he. Once they got to the – that was the Vault of Shadows. Once they got to the Vault of Shadows, you know, Jessica was recognized automatically, which seemingly indicated that that time loop had, had happened once before. So if that happened once before, then why didn't Volthoom recognize Jessica either from, from dealing with her in the past? That kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. But he certainly should have recognized the other Green Lantern that he fought. You know, unless they're going to give us some storyline that there's some mental block in his head where he doesn't actually remember anything that happened back then. Then I could believe it, but they didn't do anything to establish that. Because he should remember the events, obviously, as any Green Lantern that fought him in the same time frame should remember the events. Or else he would say, yeah, or, but either way, he should, you know, he should, you would think he could he could sense something different about about that other power ring that was one of the original seven. I, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot, there's a lot of things in that storyline which were shaky at best, and I don't think were very satisfying. So. Yeah. Good. Um, I, I don't have anything to say really. I think, I think the, uh, I think the, um, the, the, the six rings that he has is, it, it might just be an artistic miscount, who knows, uh, or it might have something to do with the fact that those two lanterns, uh, who survived, um, uh, seemingly kept their rings. We know for sure the lion dude uh, kept his because he was guarding the vault, but it, it they made it kind of artistically seem like the Kaluan kept her ring too. So, who knows? Um, again, because of those skeletons and everything, the art mistake could be just, <laughs> just that. Um, yep. As for Volthoom sensing it, I've I, I, quite honestly, I kind of give up. <laughs> I give up on all that. Um, I just, I assume we'll get that, the rest of that story at some point. Two more issues of uh, Green Lanterns have come out, uh, and there's there's no hint of hide nor hair of uh, Raimi or Volthoom in either of those. So, and, and I don't, based on the information that I think has come out so far, is I don't about what's coming down the pike. I don't think we're going to get any information about them probably for a while. For a while. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't mind. It's it's a little disappointing that we're not going to be seeing Frank probably anytime soon either, or, or the Phantom Ring, cause I, and I think we, we certainly would have if Humphreys had stayed. So but that, so that's a little disappointing. But we'll see how the, you know, how the new direction of the book goes. All right. Um, I do, uh, before we move on to the, the next email, I do want to go through a, a Twitter exchange. Um, 
Dr. DC podcast responded to one of my postings about uh, the, the, our issue 31 review. And it says, uh, in, in a series of tweets, says, just had a listen, agreed with your point about the seven original Lantern's origins. It felt like there were some tenuous connections from GL lore, Guardians versus the Burning Martians, for example, but were underexplored. I wanted some Kaluan connection between the original Lantern and 30th Century Brainiac 5 slash Emerald Eye of Ekron. Tenuous, but would be cool. Same with Krypton. Seems odd that such a powerful, uh, potentially powerful race wouldn't yield more lanterns. Tomar Ray was 2813 lantern in present time. Any rate, uh, long way of saying I agree with your thoughts slash disappointments with the original seven lanterns. Uh, he's referring to obviously what I said in that episode about just like it seemed weird that basically every one of these lanterns were from somewhere else huge in the DCU and that why tie it in there when there was so little chance that that was going to be explored. So. Yeah, I hear you. Um, and then we have an email from Jeremy, which kind of gives us a hint at future episodes. You want to read that or you want me to? Yeah, I'll read that okay. one. It's like, hey guys, thanks for the insightful answers. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> so cool to hear the response on the podcast. Congratulations on reaching episode 300. We haven't gotten there yet. We Something could still derail us. I hope you guys continue for many more. I've really enjoyed listening every week. I'm also kind of wondering if you're going to mention the appearance of a certain core member in Superman 29, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on Cal L. Lax, or Super Lax, I think as I call him, which, which sounds like a, it sounds like a heavy-duty laxative, so maybe that's not the best name. Uh, he's talk, So obviously in Superman 29, he's talking about the two, the, the two issues – Sinestro appearance and Parallax appearance, and the overall answer to that is yes. We're planning on we're planning on covering that that two issue arc, even though we may not we may we may not go into tons of detail with it in doing a normal issue review like we do the Green Lantern issue reviews. But we're going to mention those issues once we do the review on the Hal Jordan Superman arc, which just started at Hal in the core. Once that concludes, we're probably going to do an episode that will include the, the two Superman Sinestro issues and the Superman Hal Jordan issues. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and somebody over on Facebook, I think, mentioned or asked this question. It might have been Ryan. It might have been somebody else had uh, asked this, like, you know, where's the episode on the more recent epi- uh, issues of Hal Jordan and the core? Uh, wrapping up that New Gods storyline. Sometimes, guys, we record these episodes in advance. Sometimes we have other plans. Sometimes we have a lot of stuff on our plate. We don't forget. <laughs> We've gotten behind enough times to know better. <laughs> so don't, sometimes we record these in advance, and sometimes we have uh, more pressing things on our plate to get through, or we're purposely letting them build up for a certain reason. But just know that we haven't forgotten about these issues or are pushing them back because we don't like them we have plans or we have stuff in the can that's already scheduled to come out so just a heads up spoiler alert 301 <laughs> exactly um so that's our that's our emails and uh, some twitter responses and i guess that leaves one final thing huh probably the highlight of the episode other than ragman maybe <laughs> All right. I will go ahead and hit play in a minute after you tell hit them it, what Jack. we're doing. Now maybe you should just hit it. All right. I'll hit it. <laughs> 
All right, I'm going to hit play, and we'll talk about it afterwards. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. So that was the latest Star Wars The Last Jedi trailer. With Mark on the show, how do you think we wouldn't talk about this? <laughs> well, you've been itching, man. Unleash. Well, see, now this trailer to me, this trailer kind of annoys me on one level because I think I call and and give Jim full credit for this. I, I called this the Smoke and Mirrors trailer, but Jim kind of corrected me how it's the Snoke and Mirrors trailer. <laughs> uh, kudos to Jim for that one. I think almost everything we see in this trailer, in, uh, in what, uh, what it's supposed to make us think is going to happen, I think it's misleading. I don't... I mean, maybe Law of Averages says something might actually be accurate in what they're showing us, but if you're going to go break it down, I don't think Snoke is talking... He could be. I'm less confident about this one. But I don't think Snoke is talking about Kylo in the beginning. I think he's talking about Rey, about the raw, about the, when I found you, blah, blah, blah. I don't think Luke is talking about Kylo when he's talking about, he's only felt that raw power once before, that raw strength. I don't think he's talking about Kylo. Um, Who's he talking about? I don't, that's, see, that's very interesting because it's up, up in the air. It could be, he could be talking about the Emperor. Because remember, everybody told him not to underestimate the power of the Emperor, blah, 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 and, and he kind of did. I mean, if it wasn't for his father, he would have been dead. 
I also thought it could have been Yoda because of the fact that, you know, because you also go back with the how his conversation with Yoda was, you know, I'm not afraid, and Yoda said, you will be. Uh, so, I mean, it could be, I mean, it could be, it could be Kylo, but so far we haven't seen that much of Kylo to really think that he's that good. I mean, he's done some cool things, but he also got his ass kicked by somebody who was completely untrained at any level, despite her raw power. I mean, it'd be like, it would have been like Luke beating Vader on the Death Star with a lightsaber. I mean, that's kind of what it's like. Uh, so I don't think, I don't, I don't think Kylo's blown up Princess Leia. I don't think he's killing Princess Leia, because if you look at that scene, even the way it's edited, the sh- it doesn't look like that ship that Leia's on is in the middle of a fight, because everybody behind her isn't acting like it's, oh my god, we're in a serious situation. And also right before that, when he's talking about, you know, kill the past, like, you know, let it, you know, basically kill the past if you have to, to become who you, you know, you're going to be, or you need to be, that, again, it's the way it's edited, but what does he do there? He smashes his helmet. And then we see him after that, and supposedly for most of the movie, we do see him without his helmet. That would seemingly indicate that he's not turning darker, that he may be turning lighter, because the helmet was part of his persona in trying to be Darth Vader-like. So removing the helmet would seemingly not, to me on the surface, not indicate that he's becoming darker and getting more buried into the dark side. Uh, I don't think... I don't think that Ray's turning to the dark side. I don't think Ray's joining up with Kylo either, because I think Luke. I think he's, she's talking to Luke at the end of the trailer when she says, "I need someone to show me my place in all this." Because obviously we know Luke trains her, because there's enough scenes in the movie that indicate that happens. So I mean, so yeah, he could be standoffish enough to make her vulnerable to being persuaded, you know? Because obviously we see Snoke torturing her somehow in the in the trailer. Um. <clears throat> So I think there's a lot of misdirection in this trailer. I don't really, I don't really, see, here's the problem for me. I don't really care much about the First Order. I don't really care about the Resistance. That part of this, about this trilogy so far has does nothing for me. I only care about the Rey, Kylo, Snoke, Luke stuff. And I only really care about, at the moment, I only care about two of those. I care about Rey and Luke. I don't like Kylo. No matter what they do with Kylo to me, he's, he's irredeemable. And Snoke, until we find out who he is and that they give him an actual backstory, how could you care all that much about him? He's just a just generic bad guy using doing Emperor Palpatine-like things as far as temptation and manipulation. So I just – I don't know. This The first trailer didn't do that much for me, the teaser. This trailer doesn't do much for me. I think it's also because Force Awakens now that we've had kind of settled in. I don't think Force Awakens has held up for me as much. Uh, the The – the Han, the Han stuff does everything with Han and Chewie and Rey really works, but the rest of that movie to me really doesn't work all that well. As I don't think it holds up that much. I still watch that movie on fast forward a lot when I put it in. So I don't really know how to how to feel about this, but I do think from this trailer, I just think there's a whole lot of mis lot of misdirection going on, and I think that I think it's a little again using the key word for the episode. We've used this a lot lately in lots of episodes. Heavy-handed, that it's a little, little too patting ourselves on the back to be clever in how we cut this trailer to make it seem like something that it's not. To me, um, that was that was those were my thoughts. Oh, and 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 the highlight of the trailer was Chewie and the Porg. <laughs> the Porg either either that's because that's what they sound like, or he was just channeling his inner Wookiee. That part was that part on the Millennium Falcon was really cool. Not the ice foxes. The ice foxes were pretty cool. I liked I I did like them too. I didn't. 
the Gorilla Walkers didn't, they were okay, but I mean, it, it's like, you know, it's just kind of like, re, it's revamping or rehashing things we've seen before, so that's not, it's it's a little different. The stuff on Crate, that battle, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's going to do that much for me. I don't know, I'm, I'm a lot, I'm a lot less pumped for this movie than I was for Force Awakens, even though I should be more, because, and I think it's also something you and I talked about, it's, it's the Luke thing, is that We've waited so long to get Luke back on screen, and I don't count the friggin' 20 seconds we saw, at best, we saw him at the end of Force Awakens. We've waited so long to see Luke. We already know Luke, has his de- his fate, his destiny has not played out the way everybody imagined it was going to. So to really make him be cranky, old, bitter, scared Luke, I know we're supposed to get more background on, on what happened with the Jedi Academy, how, you know, how that collapsed. Uh, maybe everything that led up to it, and, had, and maybe even a time frame for how long ago that was. But just the idea that you know Luke has been he has gone in such a completely direct different direction than we thought he would have gone, and we finally get to see him, and this is the, Luke, the version of Luke that we see. I don't know, especially now we're never going to see Han and Luke and Leia together on screen unless they have some kind of flashback uh, before Luke went into exile. I don't. I don't know. I'm just getting. I'm getting the vibe that this is not going to be the trilogy for me. I do like Ray, but and Finn was funnier than and like more likable than I ever thought he was going to be. But you know, Poe's okay. Doesn't do that much for me. I like BB-8. BB-8's cute, but not, other than Ray, none of the new characters are really drawing me in as much. So I don't know. I think this might be quote unquote my prequel trilogy might be the episode seven, eight, nine. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping eight's going to really impress me, but hmm. um, I don't know. I like it. Um, <coughs> I think it. I guess I think I agree with you. It's probably a misleading trailer, um, trying to intentionally stir up some conversation before you get the oh, that's not at all how I thought it was going to go based on internet talk kind of reactions. Uh, I already bought my tickets. Uh, I have uh, I'll be seeing it the Sunday after it releases, if if not sooner. Um, uh, got two tickets, one for me, one for my dad. <clears throat> but um, no, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool seeing um, Finn go up against uh, Phasma. I thought it was cool seeing Phasma back. Uh, I think it's cool that um, <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> The Wappity <laughs> seems to be uh, Finn's weapon of choice now. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, it was cool seeing uh, – uh, what's his name? Not Finn, the other one. Poe. It was cool seeing Poe again uh, in there. I do like uh, a lot of the, the shots of the planets, uh, like the ice foxes and, and all that good stuff. Um, I do like seeing more force stuff, like the ground cracking. I thought that was cool. Um, and when she stops the lightsaber, you know, like half an inch from the rock, you kind of get this forceful sound effect and feel to the whole thing. Um, this, uh, this trilogy seems to be a lot more force driven. I mean, don't get me wrong, I know how big of a factor the Force plays in everything Star Wars related, but it just feels like they're focusing more directly on the Force in this trilogy. I don't know if that's 
I mean, you have more experience with this stuff than I do. So what do you think about that? It, I think we're going to have to wait to see how it, how it plays out to see. I mean, for me, for me to, I mean, obviously everybody has their own opinion. For me to 100% say, yeah, that's my opinion, I think we'll have to see how 8 goes and where 9 goes. Because because, because 8, I mean, uh, 5 was pretty force-driven. I mean, about Luke and on Dagobah with Yoda, that was pretty that was pretty force-driven. And even the, vo- the Vader-Bespin confrontation with Luke was pretty, had a lot to do with, not just the force, but had to do with the, you know, with the, uh, Luke's understanding of the force and, and, the light and the dark because of everything that he thought he, the, what he, every, obviously much of what he thought he knew was only an incomplete version of what, of what, which, which is another common thread, I guess, if you want to, if, since some, since there seems to be a lot of, and there's reasons to believe this, it's not just people grasping at this, but there seems to be a lot of be, overall belief that this is going to be very similar to Empire, not necessarily beat for beat. Not maybe as much beat for beat as, as uh, Force Awakens was for, of Star Wars, but uh, I think that there's a, there's we're still getting the idea that you know maybe there's a more about even more about that Luke is going to again look, he either learns more about the Force than he thought, but certainly we're going to learn more about the Force than we thought too, because obviously Luke has learned a lot and maybe a bigger picture understanding of the Force that. The, I mean, the Luke Ray stuff to me is the stuff that I find in, I find interesting, or what I want to. That's the part that draws me into this in, into this movie, and what we learn about um, what we learn about Ray's not just her parentage and her, her but same thing related to Snoke, and there's a lot of the a lot of the background stuff kind of is is relevant, and what and what can. And where we know Luke is kind of kind of be the get off my lawn kind of he's going to kind of be in that place when when Ray first shows up, but what exactly convinces him to train her and not just walk away? If he's really afraid of her power, then what what eventually convinces him to train her, and and everything else? So I, I'm curious about their relationship. I I don't want it to be a. I certainly would would hope at the end of the day their relationship is a lot more like. Obi Wan and Luke than Obi Wan and Anakin, mm-hmm. and I, I, it seems like they want to give you the vibe that there may be a lot of there may be a, like an Obi Wan Anakin vibe kind of there between the two of them. So, well, I do like the I did like the the flashbacks slash different angles of seeing how the when the Jedi Temple being destroyed, getting more insights, which we had kind of seen before. The idea we we saw one angle of. Of like jet of Luke, I think, and, and Luke and R two kind of like looking at it from from the distance, like the horizon view, as opposed to just seeing, you know, Luke leaning against R two and in support, looking for support and in pain. So I'm I'm going to be interested in seeing that. That's probably going to be more in one of like Ray's visions when it Ray's uh, force backs. Mm. But I yeah I'm 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 looking forward to it. I I'm I'm a little cautious. I'm a little leery about it I think may, basically because of the direction that I think the direction that we know it's going in now and, and we know we don't have Han we know we're probably you know unless they're gonna even though they're they, I know I read some stuff like they are gonna have some supposedly leftover footage or stuff they shot for episode 8 in for episode 9 for Carrie Fisher 
whether that's going to really be true or not, I don't know. But so maybe she doesn't fish you know, maybe she doesn't really die in this movie, even though I guess we kind of assume she would, but maybe she doesn't really die. But we know she's not going to be an ongoing character in any meaningful way after, after you know, after this movie, based on everything they've said. So you already have Han gone, you got Leia gone. Uh, yes, we have theoretically R2 and 3PO can be forever. Chewie can be. They'd be wise not to do anything to Chewie, not just because he's so popular, but because he can go on for a long time too. <laughs> that is, just, it's, it's a changing of the guard, but it's also that you. It's which is okay, but I think, I think the new characters have to be a little more. To me, they have to be a little more interesting. On, and maybe once stuff with Ray plays out, and you, and you kind of know what's, what her role and everything is, maybe that's going to, uh, do it for me. But I'm intrigued. I. I watched it a bunch of times. I I would have to say, honestly, I don't know what I was expecting, but I think I would say I was disappointed in that trailer. Again, I don't know what I was expecting, but I but I, be, but I was honest enough to say I, I think the teaser kind of disappointed me a little too. But. <clears throat> gotcha. No, I, I liked it. I, I'm, I mean, uh, I, they already had my money, so. <laughs> yeah, I got tickets too. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I don't think so. All right, guys. We will be taking a one-week hiatus uh, in preparation for episode 300. It's possible. Possible we might post something between now and 300, but don't hold us to that. You know, we have no idea. It's just that we need an extra bit of time to prepare for 300. Um, So it'll – don't expect an episode next week. Um, but we'll see you the week after for episode 300. Um, and make sure to get in your, uh, feedback for episode 300. We've gotten a few emails, uh, a couple of direct Twitter messages, stuff like that. But, um, it's, uh, totally all told it's about (coughs) three or four. So bring it on guys. Come on. This is your last chance. Episode 300. We need stuff. We need feedback. Ask us anything. Ask us about ourselves. Ask us about the show. Ask us about Green Lantern. Doesn't matter. Get your thoughts in somehow to us on the show. Uh, and uh, we do have a contest going on for all of that in which you can win a uh, box set of uh, action figures with uh, Green Lantern Hal Jordan and Green Lantern Sinestro alongside a softcover trade paperback of Green Lantern Rebirth by Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver. So... Get in on that. Uh, and it's valid only to those participants in the continental United States. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if they want to leave us feedback for episode 300 and beyond, uh, how do they do that, Mark? Email lanterncast at gmail.com. Voicemail 708 Lantern. That's the easiest way to get on episode 300. Leave a voicemail. <laughs> Your voice can be heard on episode 300. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, website lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on fa- on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to locate us on those. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher, we're on both. So whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And I guess that's pretty much it as we pre- yes as we prepare for 300. And we'll see. We have a bunch of ideas of different things to do for 300. So I guess depending how this all comes together and how how the the oh the kiss of death usually always is getting people available to record, too. 
So as long, so that might change our game plan. That's why it's good that we have a lot of ideas because it may because the final episode may not resemble anything that we're thinking about. <laughs> but it's probably going to be a sizable episode, which is another reason why we're going to need time. For sure. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.